And we're back. You're listening to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions podcast. My name is Justin here in Los Angeles, joined by Jason Woodbury in Arizona and our guest, William Tyler in Nashville. For the last decade or so, uh, few people's records have meant more to me than William's. Uh, although they don't feature lyrics, his albums tell stories about wanderers, back roads, mystic hopes, and visions. His most recent work, the newly released soundtrack to Kelly Reichardt's First Cow, brings to mind Ry Cooter's soundtrack for Paris, Texas, and Bruce Langhorne's cult western score, The Hired Hand. William, how have you been? The last time you were on the podcast, we were talking about road trips and the road trips that inspired your record, Modern Country. Uh, But you recently took another one, right? Yeah, different kind of road trip. uh, (laughs) Trying to basically... (sighs) I've tried to tell the least convoluted version of it. Um, I was moving out of my apartment in Los Angeles about three weeks ago, a little bit less. Um, basically the week that all of this started getting real with the coronavirus in terms of like things shutting down and closing. And I had sort of just been planning on going back to Nashville and being based there for the next five or six months because I was going to be on tour so much. And I figured, hell, you know, just go back, save some money. You know, I'm not sure if I wanted to stay in L.A. long term. But uh, the day after I moved out, of, I put all my stuff in storage. Um, you know, we found out that I was supposed to be going on tour with Mary Lattimore and Steve Gunn. And Big Ears, the festival that we were going to be playing that was going to sort of end the tour, got canceled. Then we canceled our tour. And, you know, it was just it was that 32, 36 hour period where, you know, everything got canceled. And I think the, the reality of what this is, uh, set in for those of us, myself included, who didn't, I I won't say I was in denial about it, but I was just definitely ill-informed about the severity of it. But yeah, so I drove back to Nashville and, and I just kind of made a, uh, uh, not a last minute, but sort of a rush decision that I should just get back here. And, um, I have a couple of friends free places to stay here and just you know just i it felt kind of like i needed to be close closer to my parents they're they're here and my sister lives in la and when i felt like one of us needed to be back here so yeah william i think it was in one of your your emails but didn't you say you were kind of self-quarantining when you first arrived as you were concerned about your parents yeah i'm i'm staying in an apartment right now that's about a couple miles away from them but um it's just me here and yeah we've seen each other but you know just outside like in their yard sure um yeah but so far no one no one's in our little circle's sick and i'm hoping you guys are still healthy doing well on this end in the in the health department thankfully jason you're you're feeling good yeah i'm feeling i'm feeling all right uh we're hanging out at home, my, my wife and I, you know, it's, it's been, we've been working from home and, uh, really staying inside. Uh, it's been, it's been nuts. I mean, I think that this has really been, uh, a complete realignment for everybody who has been going through stuff. But, but William, when you talk about your tour getting canceled and, you know, big ears, what are you talking about in terms of just really financial impact? I mean, how much of that was, was, I mean, that's, that's like, that's your job, right? You know? Sure. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) you know, I, I talked with Mary about it when we were, we had, you know, we all had to decide to pull the plug on the tour in, in a pretty quick succession of events. Um, Steve Gunn lives in New York and Steve, 
Steve was calling us a few days before and he was like, you know, like, Hey, this is, this is looking really serious. And honestly, like even being in LA, I mean, I don't know, Justin, if you can speak to this, like, I don't think we in LA had a sense of how crazy it was already in New York, you know, which I would agree, which makes sense because they're now like the literally kind of the epicenter of it. But, but, um, you know, I just, it's that thing where you have that momentary, like, I can't believe that everything got canceled. And of course it's your work and your income, but then it's just like almost instantaneously, at least for me, it was just put into such, it was like the, the perspective that it was put into was like, yeah, like who cares? This is like, I mean, it, it's our lives and our work, but like also everybody else lost their jobs. Who's in the gig economy. And that's not even really what's important right now. It's about, you know, everybody's staying healthy and safe and not getting other people sick, you know, like, um, but it's the unfolding. I think, I, I don't know if I've talked to y'all about that in one of those emails, but it's like, I feel like in a 24 hour period, I had just the, the initial sort of like anxiety of like, whoa, what is happening with my life and also the world? And then by the end of the day, just being like, I just don't want anybody I know to get sick. And like mm-hmm. having that happen so rapidly of like the privilege and insulation of the lives that a lot of us lead, you know, I just think we're just so like psychologically unprepared for like, okay, stuff just got real and it's completely yeah. out of any of our hands other than we need to be washing the hands a lot. Um, <laughs> but you know, I mean, it's, it's just, uh, you know, the whole, I think just on a real macro level, um, and you know, Justin knows this, Jason, you can speak to this cause you know, you, you, you work in the music business as well. It's like the whole thing is just going to look different in a year. And, and I, and I hope there's some positive collective way we can come out of it. That's not just like what y'all were talking about last time where it's like, okay, we just turned into a Octavia Butler, William Gibson dystopia, you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) like we're, we're somehow we come out of this, you know, in a more hopeful way. Uh, it's, it'll probably be a little bit of both, you know, I know you've, you've crisscrossed the country so many times over the years. What, what did it feel like, you know, leaving LA when you did driving to Nashville? Well, so I had to be, so my sister, I have to give my sister and, and my, my former housemate, Douglas of, of yoga records, a lot of credit. Cause they both saw this coming. And, um, Elise, my sister and her boyfriend had started kind of quarantining about five, six days before the, the real, you know, urgency, you know, March 10th, March 11th, whenever the, everything really started going down, they'd already been at home for about a week. And so she, we talked about it a lot. And I was like, you know, I was like, I don't want to get on a plane and fly back to Nashville. That feels more dangerous. She was like, well, if you just really, really make sure to be conscious of every move you make as you go, you know, and so it kind of goes into what we were talking about before we started recording, Justin, with like, you know, pumping gas, having gloves on, throwing the gloves away having a bottle of Clorox spray at all times that you literally sprayed every single thing down, like the keypad at the gas station, the handle on your door, wearing gloves to go inside the gas station. If you buy a bottle of water, as soon as you get it back out to the car, wipe it down with a Lysol wipe, you know, like I stayed in hotels that were mostly empty, but you know, when I would check into a hotel, I wouldn't touch anything. I would (laughs) wipe down the elevator button and, 
wipe down the doorknob. And as soon as I got into a hotel room, I would literally just clean everything with paper towels and uh, Lysol and Clorox and stuff. And like, that's, and I just, that's kind of how I spent four or five days going across the country, basically not seeing anybody, <laughs> which is kind of insane. So driving, driving the length of the country was the, you know, interacting with, uh, with people on the way, shopkeepers, hotel, was the anxiety palpable or did it feel? It, it was real. Uh, it, it was very gradual. It was so, I feel like what happened so the first day i drove to flagstaff so i was not too far from you jason um and it didn't it didn't feel like it didn't feel like it had set in quite yet there like i went into the store to buy some food and like kind of people people were still out sunday night the next day i drove to santa fe and then that was a monday night and it was like that was already a ghost town like everything was closed and i was the only person staying in the hotel and I was downtown, like the old town part of Santa Fe. The next day I drove to Amarillo and I was staying out by a hotel by the airport. So that was even more removed. So like that was the, I started getting more of a sense of things there because uh, the woman at the front desk was like, we're only letting customers buy one bottle of water from the, like the pantry, you know? And then the next day I drove to Fort Smith Arkansas, which is still about a seven-hour drive from Nashville, and that was, like, total ghost town. Like, nothing was open. And, like, so it was a little bit gradual. And then, you know, in between these long drives, you know, I was kind of trying to, on one hand, taking in just the immense beauty of driving across the country, but also, like, doing it with a, a lot of, fear about what might happen every single day what like i mean there was part of me that the paranoid part of me was of course like i'm gonna get sick i've already got it or trump or somebody is going to shut down travel across state lines before i get back to tennessee you know like just because you don't know and like i wanted to be listening to you know escapist podcasts or cinematic music but i've really honestly was listening to the news almost for the whole time for four days because i was just you know, like all of us, like you just don't know how what's gonna. It's just changing so rapidly, um, right? Totally, and and so it was a pretty surreal experience. I feel like I was just going on OCD protective mode, but also pure adrenaline till I got back here to Tennessee. Um, but I have to say, you know, I think I do think that there is this sort of. I think. You know, I think even as we record this now, um, the 25th of March, you know, there's still parts of the country that aren't shut down. I mean, they are voluntarily, but like, you know, they're not like, I just think it's like what Cuomo said in his press conference yesterday. It's like the apex of infection is just going to change um, chronologically, I think, differently throughout the country. Like it's just, it's going to, it's, it's obviously hitting New York and the East Coast right now. It's hitting Louisiana really hard. It's hitting California hard. You know, I don't know when it's going to hit Nashville the hardest. I don't know when or if it's going to hit rural parts of the far West the hardest, you know, maybe later in the year, you know, it's, yeah. it's really showing how I feel like there's always these weird reminders in our, in our like, post-internet society about like how disconnected rural and urban America are and urban density versus like rural sparseness. And, you know, like 
this is one of those times, I think. It's a similar disconnect almost after the 2016 election of where you just look at a map of every county that voted for Trump and you're like, oh, that's where they don't have a lot of cities. And if they do, it's just like white people. You know, <laughs> like it's, it's, I feel like we're kind of in a similar sort of, we're, we're, we're united as a country in the urgency of this, but we're not as united as I would think we would want to be in a situation like this as well. Jason can speak to uh, to kind of what you're talking about. He obviously based in Phoenix. Jason, I know you and I were talking yesterday about the the more regional response has been very different from, say, California or New York. Yeah, I mean, so we are a lot of places are voluntarily shut down right now, but there's still not a shelter in place order here in, in Phoenix, you know, here, not, not in Arizona. Um, and I think that there's a lot of hope that like, you know, being a a rural state in a lot of ways that that kind of geographical distance is going to, uh, I guess, slow the spread. But here in the sixth largest city in the, in the U S like, I don't have a lot of confidence in that, in that hope. You know what I mean? Like where people are, this, this virus is going to be. And I think that there is unfortunately a little bit of this kind of um, American denial of of a shared reality, <laughs> you know, like everybody wants to to be exempt, exempt from the reality that inconveniences them, you know. And I, uh, I, I can't help but think about that, William. You know, I feel like a lot of your work, you know, you focus sort of on, for lack of a better term, this sort of like back road America or the sort of America that exists outside of the channels of, uh, you know, like mass media per se. Um, do you feel like what we're seeing right now as a country, as we, we try to respond to this, um, do you feel like those, those fractions and and dividing lines that you kind of focused on when you were working on the, the, the last record, well, not the last record, not goes West. I guess it informed goes West as well. But, um, do you feel like those dividing lines? It's pretty much, yeah. Do you feel like those dividing lines are sort of, are, are, are being like drawn into relief once again? I don't, I don't think, I don't think is, I don't think so. I think this is more of a unifying thing. And I have to say, I think there's a lot of people who are just as much in denial about the severity of this in bigger cities, Maybe, probably not this week, but I mean, you know, there would be plenty of people still going out to bars in LA and New York if they hadn't shut everything down. And same with Nashville. You know, I don't think there's this sense of, I don't think there's this immediate sense of, uh, I got to stay home to make sure I don't get anybody sick or get myself sick just because you live with urban density. I think if anything, you know, I've got friends scattered throughout the country that do live in very rural areas like Western Michigan and Western North Carolina and upstate New York and, you know, like Eastern Oregon. And, and like, they're the people who I've talked to in the last couple of weeks who've said, yeah, you know, honestly, our lives haven't changed that much. Like we were already kind of not going to restaurants because there aren't any or uh, not seeing people except our neighbors who are farmers. And, you know, we grow our own food. We go to the grocery store once a week and get everything we need for the week. You know, just that kind of thing. I think it's just going to I think that my my optimistic view of what's going on is that the concept of urban density is just going to never be seen as something that is uh, 
maybe as desirable as it has been in the last 50 years. And, and I'm not, I don't know if that's like, you know, a lot of it's not voluntary. Like most people don't have the the choice of like, well, I'm going to move or I'm not going to, not going to move. But like, we do have this thing now where this global society united by the internet, united by these corporations that deliver things to us. And there's obviously a lot of bad things about that, but like what we're seeing as a planet is just, if we are together in these clusters of people as communities, it makes this, it makes disease spread quicker. It's just that, it's just that simple. Um, the fact that it's, kind of not in Japan is really interesting and there's a lot of different theories about that that I'm not smart enough to talk about but you know I mean we are seeing like we're seeing a place like New York shut down completely which is almost unfathomable to, to any of us you know like I mean it, I guess it did after 9-11 but not not in this kind of way you know um, so I don't know if it's a I do think that sadly there's still a very political bent to like the way a lot of people are accepting this but I don't think I'm I don't think I'm privy to the to the goings on and of the brains of a lot of people who are in denial about this, you know, as a as a political thing that it's, you know, that it's somehow like being blown out of proportion by the Democrats or that's a Chinese bioweapon or what, you know, whatever it is being spun on right wing media. Um I think this is going to be a pretty, pretty sobering, unifying thing for the country and the planet, you know. And and if anything, it's it's going to really force us to unify, like maybe we haven't. It's certainly in any of our lifetimes, you know. Maybe we have to go back to the Depression mm-hmm. or World War Two to look at something that was this galvanizing. That's what I've been thinking about a lot. Just hearing my grandparents talk about living through the Depression. And living through that kind of scarcity and how that really shaped how they they lived their lives and how they, they looked at their resources and uh, their financial situation, everything. Um, and as you just said, none of us have ever lived through anything like this. I think that, that one of the things that's interesting about this is that it's a tangible representation of the idea that we're all in this together. You know what I mean? Like there's all that that's a thing that people say. But this is like an actual demonstration of that fact. Um, William, you, you did the soundtrack to this this film, First Cow, which uh, is easily my favorite movie that I've seen this year. Um, I was able to see it, fortunately, before the uh, before the great uh, you know homebody experiment of twenty twenty. Same. Um, last is the last time movie, I went out in public. Yeah, this movie. <laughs> That's amazing. So, so it's a fantastic film, and uh, I, you know, I don't want to get into spoilers. It's not really the kind of movie that you can spoil, but um, in the film, there are these two characters, right, who are trying to navigate the frontier wilderness of of the United States, and and they're they're trying to get a leg up, and essentially, they have to sort of resort to breaking the rules in order to make a living, you know. Um, there's a there's a line in the film that you cited in the last email that you sent. And and for listeners who aren't privy to William Tyler's email list, he's been sending out these really beautifully written missives about what's going on. Um you you cited one of one of uh one of the lines from the movie. What, how, how many beaver pelts is is uh is, Oh yeah, you know, so do you know what yeah. I'm talking about? The 
Yeah, so the, the film is essentially set against the backdrop of the beaver pelt trade in the Oregon Territory back in the 1820s, 1830s. Um, and, you know, th- that was like one aspect of the economy in the in the West that was like just, you know, it was like one thing that like the white people, settlers thought was never going to run out that they could exploit. And, you know, just like later it would be buffalo or whale oil or lumber or whatever. But um, one of the protagonists in the film, who's this kind of this grifter guy, King Lou, is to, is is just brainstorming all these ways to try to get rich quick, and and he's just talking about how these these guys will sell all their furs to the company and get this pretty worthless script from the, the fort back that they can really only spend in the fort on whiskey or whatever goods are being sold there. And he has this great line about, I once saw a, a guy, or oh, he doesn't say guy, I once saw a man trade three beaver pelts for a broken fork, <laughs> which is just right. like, and I, <laughs> it's, Kelly, Kelly has this really incredible way in this film specifically, but also in the other Western that she directed called Meek's Cutoff, um, that I think she she's really trying to say something about not just white privilege and capitalism, but also like how the, the, the dual concepts of scarcity and also land of plenty and sort of avarice that go along with the perceived land of plenty concept in the American creation myth, they always existed side by side in the West. And they're very interesting parallel myths sort of to be thinking about in a time like now um jason which i think is what brought made that uh, reminded me of that scene was just because like we're dealing with like you know panic buying and and people just you know it's like you know it's like that dick cheney line about the 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 american way of life is non-negotiable you know uh like that's kind of what trump's really saying now is like hey we got to you guys got to go back to work and start start shopping, and and if a lot of a lot if you die, uh, sorry, capitalism's more important than that. You know, like there's just this 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 concept of plenty versus scarcity is just such an American dichotomy. Yeah, I, I keep, think I keep thinking about about toilet paper right now. You know, nobody can buy toilet paper, and and um and there's no need for toilet paper to be out of stock. Really, like uh, people are people are panic buying. And they're and they're they're amassing these vast quantities of toilet paper in their homes, right? But, uh, but it's but it's not it, you don't right. need it. You don't need it right now. Um, so it's sort of, in a weird way, it's just serving as this metaphor for, I mean, the idea of hoarding capital, uh, you know, at all. Because if if it's not being used for anything then all it is really serving to do is deny other people being able to get it when, when they actually need it, you know? Um, yeah. It's like, the, it's, it's like an arms race. It's a, it's an arms race. It's a toilet paper arms race. And I know that nobody, <laughs> it's a shitty, shitty arms race. And, I, and I, I know that nobody tunes into aquarium drunkards transmission podcast for advanced economic discussion or toilet paper discussion. But, um, I, 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 but maybe I they should, I can't help but think about it you know it's that that you you it what you store up you know and deny others like it it really is like it's it's a concrete representation of that kind of scarcity mindset and the kind of fear that kicks in you know 
did either one of y'all see that New York Times piece? I, I think it was today on these um, rich people who are fleeing New York City for like upstate and Long Island to their summer homes and how they're overtaking these these small towns where people live there year round and, you know, going into grocery stores and being entitled assholes. And, you know, this guy's like, yeah, like Mm -hmm. this one guy came in and literally bought a shopping cart full of carrots. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like, wait a second. Like, hold on guys. (laughs) Like, this is why we need breaks on this version of capitalism is specifically for this model. That will, Something similar is happening in a lot of the desert communities right. out here in Southern California, right. Joshua Tree, Yucca Valley. But um, yeah, uh. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I don't know. Yeah, well, wait. Yeah, we don't have any answers to that, y'all. <laughs> <It's> yeah. <laughs> weird times. In 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 slightly in slightly more uh, cheery news, William. I, I'm really curious. You're a voracious reader and a listener and a viewer. Um, what, what have you been? What have you been watching and listening to and reading as as you've been living the the quarantine lifestyle? Been pretty glued to the Criterion Channel. I don't know if y'all either one of y'all have that. Jason has it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So I've it. been. Uh, I watched Atlantic City, the Louis Mal film, the other night. Um, I watched uh, Tarkovsky's The Sacrifice, which is was maybe not the best thing to watch because um, it's kind of a, it's literally about <laughs> a, the end of the world. It's like melancholia. You know, it's like I was cr- I was like, yeah. joking. I, 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 I was like my Sunday afternoon. I was like crying on my couch watching The Sacrifice. And then that night I, I ended up watching Tropic Thunder to try to come down from that, um, which which worked. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you got to um, do that stuff. Um, yeah. What else have I been watching? Yeah, I've been yeah mainly watching Criterion Channel and you know trying not to watch too much of the news. Um, and then um, yeah, I don't know what 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 have you guys been into the last week? I have been watching uh, that television show Devs, which is about four episodes in. That is pretty good. It's about well, I don't want to give too much away, but it's about uh, the near future and technology and how it can be exploited. What else? I'm continuing to to read uh, 33 and a third book by Alan Thayer about Tim Maya, which is pretty great. But yeah, trying not to trying not to overload on the news. Um, and I, I have a seven year old, so I'm trying to keep keep that in check so he's not just absolutely bombarded. The, the last time we were on the, the podcast, I talked about watching the Vim Vendors movie until the end of the world on, uh, on Criterion. Well, and I, I talked about how I had started it. It's a five hour movie, so it took a little while. Um, but I got through and, and I love it. It's a fantastic film. So I recommend that for people's quarantine viewing, but, um, yeah, but mostly I've just been listening to records, man. That's it's 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 funny that uh that we're in this time where I really do think that everybody's spending so much time in their their home. You know, I'm just surrounded by records that I've gathered up and 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 never listened to, you know? Um and uh and it's kind of like a reminder that that it's okay to it's okay to nest a little bit, you know, and just like hang out and 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 be home. But, um, but yeah, you know, one of the things that 
we when we launched last week's podcast, which was Justin and I just kind of riffing on all the weirdness, um, we got some uh, feedback, and a lot of people told us how much they they enjoyed it. But a couple people mentioned that what they would really love to hear about is sort of what's going on 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 the website. So we did want to take a minute to highlight a couple things. But but Justin, we had two Lanyap sessions this week, right? Uh, you want to tell me a little bit about about those? Two? Yeah, we had one from M Ward, um, who has a new record coming out, and uh, yeah, this one Matt covered. Um, he did a Bach piece, which was very cool. And he also did um, an Alec Wilder too. And then we also we also ran a lanyap session with Black Lips that was recorded here in Los Angeles at Gold Diggers Studios a few months ago. It's just now coming out, but yeah, this this was great. They did a Hank Williams tune. They did kind of a Lost Velvet Underground nugget, and they also did an obscure Atlanta group from the '70s uh, by the name of Wayne, Pat, and Keith. Excellent. We we also we ran a piece uh, today actually for those of you who are listening. William threw a timestamp in, but it's it's uh, the twenty fifth of March. This episode will probably go up on the twenty sixth or the twenty seventh, but don't hold me to that, listeners. You'll hear. It, I guess if you're listening now, you it's out. So, um, <laughs> but we uh, we ran a, a, a piece about uh, the Dick Slessig combos, Wichita linemen, which is. Uh, after the band uh, Acetone, Mark Lightcap uh, turned his focus to to this this group called the Dick Schlesinger Dick Schlesig Combo, actually, and uh, they did this incredible kind of like long form version of Wichita Lineman. It's forty two minutes long, and it's just it's one of my favorite things. I can't stop listening to it, and uh, so I had to write about it. It's incredible. Yeah. You know, and I just finished this book by... No, it's a great, great piece of writing, Jason. Oh, thank you, man. I I just finished this, this book, uh, by, by Griel Marcus called When the Rough God Goes Riding, which is about Van Morrison. And he touches on, he doesn't talk about the Wichita Lineman cover. He talks about another cover, but, uh, it turns out to be a great excuse to talk about music that is essentially sort of, uh, a meditation as much as it is anything else. Um... Justin, one of my favorite things we ran this week, exp- explain this to me. You were uh, compelled to go into your closet and dig out an old Case Logic uh, book. Is that is that correct? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it's interesting talking about this in 2020. Before all the, the nifty, easily downloadable MP3 and streaming music, I had a number of case logic booklets filled with CDRs of bootlegs. So I, I went into the, my, my closet the other day and I dug that out and I hadn't looked at some of this stuff in a dozen years at least. But um, one of the ones I found and I put it up on the website is Bob Marley and the Whalers at the record plant, Sausalito, California, 1973. And if you're any kind of fan of, uh, of, of Jamaican music or really music at all, this thing is just a stunning, stunning document. And it later saw an augmented release, um, an official release, as they did broadcast this on the KSAN radio. Um, but this this thing is fantastic. I don't know if either one of you had an opportunity to hear it. but No, oh, yeah. No, it's great. It, it's something else. Man, what, what else is going on on the site right now? We just wrote up Drag City recently reissued the first two Espers albums. We need Espers now more than ever. 
William, we definitely want to talk about this magnificent three-plus-hour audio document that you put together. Yeah, so when I got back to Nashville, I the first thing I did the first night, I, you know, I, couldn't, I was so wired, I couldn't sleep, basically stayed up all night. And I had this old hard drive that I dug up that had this... Um, all these audio files that had been digitized about 12 years ago. And essentially what it, what it is, is a friend of mine, Leslie, who's a really great painter, uh, used to stay up all night in her painting studio and she would listen to the radio. And we used to have this AM radio station called WAMB in Nashville. And it, it played old big band, you know, easy listening records um, all day. But at, at night they would specifically play kind of like late night, like kind of spooky sexy you know whatever and it was all put together by this one guy who's a dj on the station who after he died they just kept playing his mixtapes cassette mixtapes actually um i think some were cassettes some were reel to reel but they would just leave them on loop from like midnight to 5 a.m and leslie would be working in her studio um in the middle of the night she started recording them and then my friend Jonathan from the band Lamb Chop, um, wh- 13 years ago, he just like one day he was like, uh, he was like, you know, Leslie, um, Leslie's, Leslie's Jonathan's partner. Um, and he, he told me that like, cause we were obsessed with this station. Like so many people in our friend scene were really obsessed with listening to this AM radio station. And he let me borrow these cassettes that she had just had the incredible foresight to dub, you know, because I think one of the things like I I sort of take we take everything for granted, which is very apparent right now in this national shutdown. But, you know, I'm a I take a lot of radio. I I take radio for granted, you know, just like this, you know, and like they radio stations are like bands or, you know, restaurants. They they, a lot of them close, go out of business. And so this great there was no archive online of this radio station and so we just digitized like all these cassettes that she had of these late night broadcasts and so what when i got back to nashville about a week ago i just edited them together into one long mp3 and threw them up on mixcloud and then and then talked to you guys about putting them up on aquarium drunkard as a platform um because honestly it it helps I, i i i remember when i finally fell asleep like at like five or six a.m. on Thursday morning, and was just like kind of falling asleep on the couch, listening to this stuff, and just like imagining a, a more innocent, not time, but you know, headspace at least. Yeah, headspace, and it it does the trick. I have to say, you know, like between that and like uh, a lot of classical and Eno and ambient and ECM and the new Fortet. Like that's the kind of stuff that's been kind of getting me through <laughs> the last couple weeks. <laughs> also, we, we have to say rest in peace to the Makosa man. Yes. Rest in power. Yeah. Rest at rest in power. Daniel T, Daniel Turndrup, uh, LA buddy. Um, he put together an amazing overview mixtape for aquarium drunkard. Um, and I, I didn't realize this, but he passed away from uh, COVID nineteen. Yeah. On that note, I think we want to throw uh, a, a a word of support out for. I don't know how you guys feel about Jackson Brown, but I think Jackson Brown has got some some real jams and uh, and you, of course, you know, word that he uh, 
he's he's infected, you know, and he sent the word out that that was going on. So thinking of Jackson uh, Brown this evening and anybody who's who's suffering from this, uh, our idea with this podcast, the way we wanted to try to go about it was to sort of offer something for people to listen to, to take their minds not off what's going on, but but maybe help you know, offer some context and some, some ideas and some discussion of what we're doing. So I don't want to dwell exclusively on, you know, on people who are sick, but of course we're thinking of those people. And and I hope that everybody who is self quarantining really does understand that what they're doing is a, is a tangible act of, of service for other people. And you're helping people by staying in. It gets really, uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm well into my second week with it now. And, and I'm definitely feeling stir crazy, you know, like, but I have to keep reminding myself that, that this is the right thing to do yeah. and, that, and that this is a way to help people. So if you're feeling, if you're feeling cooped up, you know, just yeah, know yeah. that, know that you're really helping out, you know, honestly. I just think it's, it's such a, it's, it's this thing of like, where there's, there's a solidarity that's going on globally and it's easy to lose sight of when you're not talking to people. I mean, honestly, just even be able to have this conversation with you guys and see your faces is like, like the highlight of my day. Cause I'm like the human yeah, connection same. I think that we take for granted is so, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to lose in a time like this and it's easy to get overwhelmed by by it but it's like but the the bigger picture is so much more important and the fact that you know we're we have the luxury of even sitting at in somewhere and having this conversation and we're relatively safe and there's so many people out there on the front lines of this who are fighting it and who are sick and it's just you know it's as as you said jason like the yeah the the, the biggest act of civic you know, generosity we can do is just to be as, as alone as we can. Well, on that note, Justin, but before we, before we wrap this, this episode up, do you want to, do you want to tease what you're working on with, with radio free aquarium drunkard? Yes. Returning to our pirate radio beginnings. One of the things I've been working on the past, I guess week and a half is setting up uh, radio free aquarium drunkard. It's going to be 24 seven worldwide online streaming radio. Um, so hopefully that will be up shortly. We're going to have a lot of friends doing shows. Hopefully, William, you will contribute to it with your your uh, your ear. But yeah, we're doing that. Absolutely. Um, we're working with our friend uh, Mark Neely right now, who's going to be, he's a great animator. We're going to be doing kind of an aquarium drunkard kind of cable access video show. So we are... We are self-quarantined. We are we're staying apart, but we're we're also trying to uh, to reach out. Yeah, that's right. And so, on that note, if you haven't been able to contribute to the Aquarium Drunkard Patreon, uh, head over to Patreon.com/backslash Aquarium Drunkard. It helps us keep doing what we're doing, from these podcasts to you know radio stations to uh, obviously all sorts of cool stuff that you can read over at AquariumDrunkard.com. If we help make your listening life a little bit better, we hope that you'll, you know, contribute and help us keep doing it. It's not an easy time for anybody right now. It's especially not an easy time to have an independent music publication going. But um, because of your guys' support, because of everybody's support, um, we're able to keep doing it. So, William, thanks so much for taking the time to, to hang out with us today. 
Hey, I'm glad to get to talk with two of my favorite uh, guys. Stay safe. Stay stay clean in Nashville. <laughs> yeah, you, you guys too. All right. Thanks so much, William. We'll talk soon. Uh,